Well, good morning, New Life Church, and to all of our friends visiting us this morning. Uh, again, every week we are grateful for you joining us and that we can worship together and study God's Word together. So I hope that you will be blessed by the teaching from the Word this morning. And um, we continue to look at this uh, book of Acts as we've been going through it the last few months. We look at the incredible account of the beginnings of the New Testament church. And if you've been with us at all, you will know we are at the end of chapter 7. And two weeks back, we started looking at Stephen, one of the first deacons in the church at Jerusalem, which we see in chapter 6 from verse 8 to verse 15. And then we saw Stephen the man. We got to see a little bit of his character, his godly characteristics that made him so courageous in his witness for Christ, despite the difficult um, situations and condition he found himself in. Well, last week, we continued looking at Stephen. We studied the message of Stephen. Not only was he a servant that served the church well, but he was also a gifted preacher. And today, we conclude looking at Stephen as we see his death. We see his martyrdom in chapter 7 from verse 45 to um, chapter 8, verse 3. So Stephen was a man that lived like Christ. He spoke like Christ, and he ended up dying like Christ. And his death brings a powerful encouragement to all who follow Jesus. He represents a real-life example of how victory of Christ over death changes the way a Christian can face death, and live as well. And these wonderful truths about dying, which we will see today in our passage, um, the truths about dying in Christ, are very instructive for us as to how we can live for Christ as well. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 7. Please follow along with me from verse 54, and we will read to verse 3 of chapter 8. Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Well, let's pray and ask God's blessings on the word before we dive into it this morning. Father, we 
read these words remembering that this is an historical account. This is not just a documentary or, or some fable or some fiction that somebody put together for us to um, learn some ethical lessons from. This is truth, Lord. This, this is fact. And we see how your church, Lord, was suffering and how they were persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Even how you raised up men to do that work so that the word would be scattered, the word would go forth from Jerusalem. We see how all of this has been orchestrated by you for a purpose. Lord, even though it's a little difficult for us to read and maybe we don't understand all of it, we pray, please, that your spirit would teach us this morning, that he would help us understand. Lord, take away our, our prejudices against maybe this portion of passage and help us to see clearly the truth from this word today. We know your word is inspired. and We know, Lord, it is profitable for us. So please, Lord, we pray. Help us to approach your word in a biblical way this morning that you may be pleased and honored by our response. So teach us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you remember the circumstances leading up to the death of Stephen. If you have missed the last couple of weeks, then please let me allow you, um, let, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, please allow me a few moments to help you catch up. Uh, this is the last time that we are looking at Stephen, so context is important and to see how this all led up. We first met Stephen all the way back in chapter 6, and he was one of the men chosen to provide ministry uh, to the Jerusalem church. He was a man of good reputation. He was a man full of the spirit and a man full of wisdom. Uh, he was also a man who was full of faith, we see recorded in chapter 6. And it says in chapter 6, verse 5, he was full of the Spirit of God. And so he, along with six other men, were chosen out of the thousands in the early church for spiritual responsibility to fulfill the ministry that was needed there in the early church. But it turns out he was also a great, gifted, bold, courageous preacher. Because of his testimony, he was brought before the, the Jewish Supreme Court, the council, the Sanhedrin. And he had been traveling around from synagogue to synagogue proclaiming the gospel as he was there. And in those synagogues, the Jewish crowds tried to argue with him. And they were, according to verse 10 of chapter 6, it tells us that they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So because he, um, because he was too wise for them, they couldn't win these arguments. Instead, they chose to attack him. And they accused him of blasphemous words against Moses and accused him of blasphemous words against God. And down in verse 13 of chapter 6, they accused him of blasphemous words against the temple and against the law. And then in chapter 7, Stephen really, he gives a response. He gives a defense in the form of a sermon which we looked at last week. And it's quite a long sermon as he goes over the, the history of Israel in order to show that um, God had given the law. But they were the ones who had disobeyed the law. God sent prophets and 
they were the ones who rejected the prophets. And these prophets spoke of the, the coming Messiah, and as a result, they were killed. And these people were guilty of the blood of Jesus, the very Messiah that had come for them, just as the prophets had promised. And the holy law which they claimed to revere and to defend was not kept throughout Israel's history. And it was not kept by Stephen's accusers either. And it was not Stephen who was um, guilty of breaking the law, guilty of blaspheming against the law in the temple. It was his accusers. It was not Stephen who was worthy of death, but in fact his accusers. And in Stephen's address, he points out that though Joseph had been refused by his brethren, he became their savior. And ultimately, they all had to bow down before them. He also reminded them that though Moses was at first rejected, he ultimately became both their, their ruler and deliverer of Israel. And now he testifies a similar but much greater thing in connection with Jesus, the righteous one whom they had murdered. He says Jesus is to become their judge and ultimately for those who receive him, their great and final deliverer. By the time he is done with his defense, they are the ones that are being put on trial here. They are the ones who are being accused of blasphemy. And in his sermon, he says to the Sanhedrin, in effect, I believe in God, but you are the ones who put him in a box. You think he can only work in Jerusalem. I believe in Moses, but you continually break the law that he gave. I believe in the temple, but if your father's didn't desecrate it with idolatry, it wouldn't have been destroyed. And a couple of verses before our sermon, our passage this morning, at the end of chapter 7, from verse 51 to 53, Stephen concludes his sermon. Now remember, he is standing before the Sanhedrin, and these men have the power to, to whip him and even have him killed. And notice what he says to them in these verses. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Verse 53, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Well, the uneasy feeling that had grown as Stephen's defense had gone on had now become just outright anger, just plain rage. This is where we pick up our passage this morning in verse 54 to verse 56. My first point this morning is the commendation. And these verses, they really do highlight the commendation. And what I mean by that is the praise or the the recognition of Stephen's ministry, of, of Stephen's sermon, of the truth that he was preaching in this passage. Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing 
at the right hand of God. Now these verses record the first martyrdom in the history of the early church. Um, It's an amazing and really it's also an instructive scene for us to, to learn from. We see in this passage the Sanhedrin, they were snarling like wild animals at Stephen. And how did Stephen respond? He responded like Christ. He looked into the heavens. He saw the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And the Sanhedrin were were faced with a choice. Either they admit that Stephen was correct and that they were wrong in crucifying Jesus. Um, Remember, this happened almost three years earlier. Or they had to be consistent with their rage and with what they were accusing him of and kill Stephen. Well, we know what they chose as we've read the conclusion of the the chapter here. Stephen says in verse 56, look there, I see the heavens opened. I see the heavens opened. Stephen was given a vision of what is normally veiled, of what we don't normally get to see. We know there is a spiritual realm, but we don't get to see it. And we know it's real. And Stephen was being allowed to see into the spiritual world. Heaven opened up for his view. And what did he see? He saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And the situation there, you can imagine, must have been very tense. And the Sanhedrin were, were snarling and, and, and ready to, to rush at him. They were angry. And they were about to erupt. And Stephen looks to the Lord. And the Lord gives him a heavenly vision. A vision I'm sure must have given Stephen peace at that moment. But I think this is instructive for us. And we may not have the ability to see into the spiritual world. But we know that it is there. We know there are angels. We know that Jesus um, is a spirit. It's there. We know from the scripture that God is on the throne. We know that he is ruling the universe and everything that happens in it. But when our circumstances are not good, when everything looks like our world is falling apart, as we learned last night, Psalm 97, God is still in control. God is still ruling and reigning. Even though we can't see him, we can still trust him. I find it amazing at the end of this vision of what Stephen sees. Notice what he's seeing there. And and this, I think, emphasizes really the conclusion of his sermon back in the end of chapter 7 there. God dwells in heaven. Not in temples made with hands. That's what Stephen kept on preaching to them. And then he gets to see God in heaven. Not in the temple made with human hands. But another important element in this record also needs to be highlighted. The fact that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Well, what is significant about that? Notice there. 
It's mentioned twice in our passage. Normally in Scripture, the Bible speaks of Jesus now sitting at the right hand of God, having accomplished the, the work of redemption. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 12, and also in Ephesians chapter 1. But here, twice, it says that Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, most commentators agree that Jesus was standing to welcome home his faithful witness. Jesus always stands with those who stand for him. And he gave this courageous man. Remember, he's on the verge of death. Jesus, Stephen gets a vision of Jesus in heaven. He sees the, the glory of heaven. And it's there to support him in this terrible moment which is about to follow. And this reminds me of a story in the Old Testament of the three bold Hebrew witnesses who refused to bow the knee before um, the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember what happened in his fury, the mad king. Um, he bound them up and he threw them into the furnace that was heated seven times hotter than normal. But when he looked into the furnace, to his shock, when he looked into the flames, they didn't just see three men that were bound up there. They were four, and they weren't bound up. They were walking around without, without any harm. And it tells us in Daniel chapter 3 that the appearance of the fourth was like the Son of God's. And I believe personally that that was Jesus there in the furnace with them. The pre-incarnate Jesus had joined these brave witnesses in their moment of trial. He was there to support them. He was there to encourage them for their faithfulness to him. And in that story, those three brave witnesses were spared from death. But that's not what happens with Stephen here. But he is encouraged. He is encouraged in his faith. He is supported in his bold witness. But notice what is happening here. God is welcoming Stephen home with open arms. God is saying to Stephen, well done, my good and faithful servant. Whenever the Lord calls on anybody to suffer for his name, we need to remember that God is not going to let them do it on their own. He will be there to support them. He will be there to support them in their time of need. Our second point this morning is from verse 57 to verse 60. Here we see the consequence. Here we see the consequence. It tells us in verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice. This is the Sanhedrin. They cried out with a loud voice. And they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Look at verse 57 there. In their blindness, they cried out with a loud voice. 
they cried out with a loud voice. Now, this is a, an involuntary scream. And notice there, they covered their ears as if they could hide from such blasphemous words. And it says they rushed at him. So try and picture that. Just imagine the robes that they were wearing um, there in the council. They were holding their ears. They were running at him, holding their, their robes. And with one massive impulse, they were, they were shrieking and they were screaming. They didn't want to hear God's truth. They didn't want to know the facts. They didn't want to be confused with the, with the truth. Their hearts were made up. Their minds were made up. Their hearts were hardened. They were stiff-necked. Just like he said to them in verse 51, it was all true. But notice the word rushed in verse 57. It's a verb. It's a doing word, an action word. And it's the same word that is used of the, the demon-possessed pigs that ran over that steep cliff into the sea in Mark chapter 5. It's the same word that is used of the, the mad rush of the, the mob in um, Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 that wanted to kill Paul. They didn't want to follow any rules. They just wanted to stamp out his life. And so here is Stephen again, full of the Holy Spirit. Well, they are full of rage, full of uncontrolled anger. And here is Stephen. Spiritually, he sees everything clearly. He sees all the way into heaven. And these people are are blinded in their madness. Verse 58 says, They cast him out of the city and stoned him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And that's not all to the story. That's really just an abbreviated account. The, the oral Jewish traditions which have been written um, in a book, it's called the, the, the Mishnah. And in that book, it tells us of the custom of stoning. They would first tie the, the criminal's hands behind their back before they would cast him from a, from a high place. And the drop from this high place was twice the height of a man. But there were rocks at the bottom of this um, precipice. And one of the witnesses would push the criminal off from behind so that he fell face forward onto the rocks. And then he, they would turn him over onto his back. And if he had died from the fall, well, that was sufficient. But if not, the second witness was to take a large, a large stone, a large rock, and to drop it on their, their heart. And if this caused death, then that would be the end of it. But if not, then the accused would be stoned by all the congregation of Israel. All of this happened to Stephen. All of this happened to, to Stephen. It tells us the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, we all know that this is the future Apostle Paul. But right here, he is also in his blindness. He is unsaved. But the inclusion of his name here, I think, is very deliberate. It's very deliberate. And remember, the author here is, the doc, is Dr. Luke. And he's inserted Saul's name here because this is the man who would 
soon be saved, and he would be transformed into the famous missionary to the Gentiles, the Apostle Paul. In fact, from chapter 13 of Acts, the focus turns away from Peter to the Apostle Paul as he goes out with the gospel message to evangelize the world. To evangelize the world. And I don't think the Apostle Paul ever got over what is happening here in our passage. I don't think the Apostle Paul could ever not forget seeing Stephen thrown from this precipice with his hands behind his back, and then a large stone thrown on his heart, and then the witnesses throwing stones on his head until he died. I'm pretty sure this had a huge impact on the Apostle Paul's life and his motivation. But I want you to notice another stark contrast at the end. The contrast between hate, the contrast between love, and the hate, obviously, we see it all the way through in the fury of the, the stoning of Stephen. And this humblest of men who was full of the Spirit, sent by God to preach salvation to Israel. All they wanted to do was kill him. All they wanted to do was destroy him. But in the middle of this blast of hate, what do we see in verse 16? We see the beauty of love. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This, I think, is the ultimate moment in Stephen's testimony. He pulls himself up. Notice what he's doing here. He pulls himself up under the crushing stones to do what? To get into a kneeling position on his knees so that he can pray. Who's he going to plead for? Is he praying for himself? Save me, Lord. Lord, stop this nonsense. Save me from the, the, the brutish cruelty. What is he praying here? He prays for forgiveness for them. Forgiveness. This is, this is I hope this brings to your mind exactly of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. He's behaving just like Jesus here. And Jesus said, lay not the sin to their charge. Don't hold the sin against them, Lord. That's exactly what Stephen is praying. One of the heroes of the Scottish Reformation history is a man by the name of George Wishart. When George Wishart was to be executed, the executioner hesitated because George Wishart was such a gracious and kind man. And Wishart, according to his biographer, he came over to the executioner and he, he kissed him on the side. And he said to his executioner, this is a token that I forgive you for what you are about to do. And after that, he went to his, his death. I think that's how Christian martyrs die. Looking at the life of Stephen and reading these accounts of all these Christian martyrs this week, 
They have a peace, a peace that passes all understanding. We notice the last words in verse 60. Stephen fell asleep. We know he wasn't sleeping as we do when we go to bed at night. This is a a beautiful way to describe his peaceful death. Even though the surroundings and the, the circumstances were violent, we know they were chaotic, we know they were full of anger and hate, Stephen is full of peace. I think this was a great time of intimacy and communion that he was having with God. Stephen, of course, was encouraged and enabled to see the heavens open up and to to see the the Savior standing at God's right hand. He was ready to receive Stephen into his presence. The grim scene around Stephen really faded away in the light of the glory of God before him. In the light of the glory of God before him. Stephen was the first Christian martyr even sacrificially laid down his life. But as the early church father Tertullian observed, and he's famous for saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We know from here the persecution continues to get worse. The church is scattered, but the gospel seed is scattered further than Jerusalem. And the Lord uses the lives of these faithful witnesses to spread the gospel and to build his church. And that leads to my last point this morning, the conclusion. The conclusion we see in chapter 8 from verse 1 to to verse 3. As I said earlier, I think watching Stephen die must have had a profound and unforgettable effect on Saul at this point. But we know this also provoked him to eventually submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But the gospel that Stephen was preaching didn't die with him. In fact, More and more persecution was added upon the church and the faithful witnesses who continued to preach the gospel. We see in verse 1 of chapter 8 that a massive persecution was launched against the church. But more than that, I think Saul was was affected. He was never going to forget this day. And he went around persecuting the church at this point. He was determined in his mind. He thought in his darkness and in his blindness, that what he was doing, he was doing for God. But he would never forget the testimony and Stephen's martyrdom. And how do I know that? Well, because Paul says so. He says so in First Timothy when he writes to Timothy. Paul says in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, formerly I was a persecutor, formerly I was an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Of whom I am the foremost. Notice what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I am the worst sinner that has ever been, that ever will be. There's no greater sinner than me. And I do believe that this account, this incident that we see here, affected Paul greatly. I think this day set Paul, first of all, on a, on a course of persecution right up till the, the Damascus road when the Lord gets hold of his life and, and opens his eyes. In fact, blinds him so that he can open his eyes. And then he looks back and he sees the whole story of Stephen in a completely different way. What can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? Well, just three things I wanted to highlight this morning. What, the first thing, what we see at times as disastrous, as, as a tragedy, is in fact a divine triumph. Stephen sowed his blood, and as a result, Saul was saved. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And because Saul was saved, millions of others were saved as a result. In fact, you and I were saved as a result. Thanks be to God that the church continues to grow. And she continues to be built because it's not about the land. Rather about the Lord Jesus Christ. As Stephen said, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. As we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. God works all things together for the good of those who loved him and are called according to his purpose. I think the second thing that we can see here in this chapter we are reminded of very powerfully is how we respond to conflict, how we should respond to conflict. How we respond can either be a very effective means of witness or it can be a very effective means in how we don't witness to the world who's watching us. Either an effective witness for the truth of the gospel or an effective witness of what a hypocrite is or a coward is. We never know what God is doing behind the scenes, but thankfully we know that He is in the scene, that He is alive, that He is real, that He is watching us. And of course, how we die matters, as we see from our passage this morning. But how we live has to count as well, surely, isn't it? Remember, Paul himself said, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. It's important. But for me to live is Christ. You know, sometimes I think people use that verse in a, in a very incorrect way. People say, well, for me to live is about money. For me to live is about myself. For me to live is about my riches. For me to live is about respect. And then at death, 
death comes, all they know is despair and all they know is horror because they do not know the hope of glory in Jesus Christ. They've never understood or embraced the gospel. If you are gazing at your achievements, if you're gazing at your success and your abilities all this time, when trouble comes, what are you going to count on? You're going to count on things that will rust. You're going to count on things that are not eternal. But if you're gazing to Jesus and you're looking to Jesus, when the tough times come, when difficulties approach, His rod and His staff will comfort you as the Bible promises. The Spirit of God will rest upon you as we see right here in the life of Stephen. Are you living for the glory of God? That's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Are you living for God's glory or for your glory? Lastly, I think this record serves as a wonderful encouragement that the worst thing that could happen to a believer is also the best thing. The worst thing that could happen to a believer is also the best thing. I think the gospel changes the horrors of death into the hope of glory for all of us who follow Jesus. Death can be a frightening thought to to many people. But when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to behold and to love the glory of God, and you, you then live knowing that that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is triumphant, that Jesus is victorious, and He is at God's right hand, ruling and reigning, then all that hopelessness and all that self-pity and all that resentment and bitterness are consumed by the presence of the glory of God, by the hope, this real living hope that we have. Another hero of the Scottish Reformation was Hugh Mackle. I read a lot of biographies this week about martyrs, and this one also caught my attention. He was a young and a brave preacher of the gospel, um, but he was brought before his judges and he was condemned to hang. But they gave him four days to live, and many in the watching crowd, they wept as he went away as this young man, they thought that, you know, his fate was so tragic because he still had so much life to live. But in his eyes, there was no tears. There was not a trace of self-pity. There was not a trace of regret on his eager young face. And he would exclaim as he walked to his cell, trusting God, trusting God. And his eyes were was shining when he said that, trusting God. And a biographer records that while he's walking to his cell, he suddenly catches a glimpse of a, of a friend among the crowd who are watching this. And he shouts out to his friend, he says, Good news! Good news! I am within a four-day journey of enjoying the sight of Jesus Christ. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. What do you live for, folks? 
Are you consumed with the glory of God? We can join Paul in shouting, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? We can join with the apostle by saying, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, we do want to praise you this morning for the victory that you have secured on the cross. You have defeated sin, you have defeated death, and you are ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father at this very moment. Father, I've prayed this before and I pray it again. Please stamp eternity onto our eyeballs. Help us to live with an eternal perspective, with a spiritual perspective. Please forgive us for casting our eyes on this world that is corrupt, that is decaying, that is temporary. Help us, Lord, to look to you this week and to love your glory and to be satisfied in it. And not in this world, not in the things of this world. Let us be consumed by your love and by your glory. And let us live for that, Lord Jesus. I beg you, Lord, may New Life Church be marked by that characteristic. The same characteristic we see here of Stephen. People who are spirit-filled, full of the Spirit, living for your glory. Proclaiming your glory. Sharing the hope that this world needs, even in difficult situations. May we never be ashamed of the gospel. May we never be ashamed of our Savior. May we hear you say one day to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. We ask in Jesus' precious name.